episode 794. We dive deep into the NFL draft on today's episode. First up is NFL draft consultant Matt Richner talking quarterbacks, followed by Cheesehead TV's own Jacob Westendorf to break down the interior offensive linemen. It's all coming up on Railbird Central next. Good morning, Green Bay Packers fans, and welcome to Railbird Central at Cheesehead TV, the longest tenured Packers podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Brian Caravu, and today we're talking about the NFL Draft. To do that, we have a guest joining us on the show today. This was a pre-recorded interview, but I think you're going to find it extremely illuminating. We have NFL consultant, NFL draft consultant, Matt Richner, joining us on the show. We've had him on the show in the past. Glad to have him on once again uh, to talk about quarterbacks in the lead-up to the NFL draft. He provides NFL teams with reports on quarterbacks and uh, we dig deep into, you know, not the guys who are going to be first-round draft picks, the, you know, the Deshaun Watsons and Mitch Trubisky's. We don't really get into them because there's no chance the Packers are going to talk about them. But there's at least a, a, a somewhat of a chance that the Packers could invest in a quarterback in the middle rounds of the draft. And we talk about some of those guys, and I think you'll really enjoy that. Uh, so uh, sit in and enjoy. Uh, as we talk to Matt Richner. Baltar, find me another expert. One that likes me this time, okay? Right now on Railbird Central, we're talking to NFL Draft Consultant Matt Richner. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Very good. We're glad you could join us on the show. And I know, Matt, you've talked about your background on our on our show in the past, but but can you tell our audience a little bit about the consulting you provide to NFL teams? Because I think it's interesting that teams actually seek out your insight. Yeah, so what I do is I do statistical analysis. Um, I give uh, I, I work with teams, and I kind of give an overview. I kind of call it the 360-degree overview of each player, where they're really successful at, where their weaknesses are at. Um, this year, I've really concentrated a lot on quarterbacks. Uh, there seems to be a number of teams out there that are looking for quarterbacks this year. Um, so what I've done is I, this year I charted every uh, pass that the, this year's uh, draft class um, had thrown. So this year's class had thrown a total of six, 16,112 passes. And so with that, I watched each throw about three different times, um, catalogs, um, anything from the snap to pass time, if they were inside the pocket, outside the pocket, how many pass rushers were there going against, how many, what was the defensive coverage, pretty much cataloged everything and then come up with a statistical kind of makeup of each quarterback. And then from there, kind of give a general uh, probability of each quarterback's uh, success in the NFL. Um, this year, Deshaun Watson being the most likely to have success in the NFL and kind of goes down the list. So um, it's kind of a long-winded introduction, but it's, it's definitely kind of taking the money ball approach to football. Matt provided me a sample of his report, so we're going to talk about that here. But before we dig in here, Matt, I think our audience also likes to put things in a Packers perspective, you know, being the focus of our show. So can you tell us about what you learned from Mike Holmgren and his staff in Seattle? We talked about this on a previous episode, too. Yeah, um, 
definitely. I was there when Mike Holmgren was his last year of coaching the CX. I worked in the PR department, um, and I got a chance to know a lot of the coaches there who, um, who were also were some of the coaches there during his Packers run. Um, most notably, the one that I kind of got closest to was uh, Gil Haskell. I believe he was the wide receivers coach there when the Packers won their Super Bowl championship. Um, and coach Haskell has been a tremendous resource and asset and somebody that has kind of he really kind of helped show me how coaches break down the game and stuff like that. And one interesting thing that he always told me that he told me that I've kind of always uh, had in the back of my mind is that you, we hear a lot about um, arm strength and quarterbacks. And, you know, I think this year uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, from Texas Tech riled off a, like a 75-yard pass in his pro day, and people became so enamored with his arm strength. <laughs> But what Gil Haskell told me was that what you're really looking for is similar to what a shortstop is in baseball. If they can kind of go on their back foot and then uh, rifle the ball to the first baseman on a, on a rope, if they have the arm strength to do that, that which is usually about a 35 to 40-yard kind of pass, then the guy can be successful in the NFL. You don't really need much more arm strength than that. But So that is kind of the one thing that I've always kind of associated with uh, what I think of like Coach Holmgren and Coach Haskell and quarterbacks is, you know, there's a lot of a lot of talk about arm strength, but in reality, if you can just kind of make the simple passes and, you know, kind of you're, you're playing within the first like 10 to 20 yards of the field, other than that, you don't really – you're not usually any, using that uh, deep part of the field as much as people think. It's really a small percentage of their offenses. Well, we're going to get into Mahomes here in a second, but before we get into the prospects, let's let's put the quarterback position into perspective in Green Bay. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is entrenched as the starter, uh, but Brett Hundley, the backup, is very likely going to leave Green Bay in, in less than a year's time, whether that's you know trading him now before the NFL draft or after the season's over. So, Matt, how, how likely do you think that makes – uh, the Packers address the quarterback position in the draft this year? The Packers are, are usually one of those teams that kind of generally take a quarterback um, almost every year. They'll, they'll sign one uh, as an undrafted free agent. Um, def- definitely going back to the, the Ron Wolf uh, kind of philosophy is that you take a quarterback every year. The positive is if you hit on one, then they ended up developing into a, a quality starter or two, you can trade them. This year, after Brett Hundley, you guys don't really, Packers don't really have uh, any young uh, quarterbacks um, on their roster that they kind of are grooming to develop. I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers make a run in the fourth or fifth round on a quarterback. There seems to be a couple in this year's draft class that if they were to drop that far, uh, that kind of fit the Packers mold, a pro-style offense, uh, players who are, you know, have a high quarterback IQ, kind of show that they've made a limited number of mistakes in the pocket, um, similar to what like Aaron Rodgers and Hundley had. Um, you know, they have a little bit more mobility. The Packers seem to generally have uh, focus on that um, in looking at their historical draft classes for quarterback. So I would be surprised if the the, the Packers, like I said, make a mid to late round uh, pick um, because if Hundley – they might actually end up getting uh, some trade value out of Hundley. Uh, again, if, if there's a lot of quarterback-needy teams this year, Hundley has shown kind of success. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers got a couple phone calls asking maybe would a second or third rounder uh, be able to pry Hundley out of their out of their roster. Well, let's get into the prospects here. I, I don't think the Packers would address the quarterback position in the first round, even if they traded Hundley, but I, I certainly wouldn't rule it out as early as day two of the draft, and, and that makes me think about players like Patrick Mahomes, who you could at least potentially reach day two. 
Um, Matt, as you noted in your research, he threw more passes behind the line of scrimmage or shortly beyond than almost anyone in this draft class. How, how difficult will that make his transition to the NFL? It's going to make it very difficult. As you just kind of noted, 61% of his pass attempts have been 10 yards or less behind, uh, to, from the line of scrimmage. Most of those actually are coming uh, behind the line of scrimmage. He had 23% of his passes were behind the line of scrimmage uh, throughout, his, throughout his college career. Um, no quarterback that has come from that kind of high-powered spread that he kind of um, has, has been known for um, in that Texas Tech offense has gone on to the NFL and has success. So he's you know he's he's kind of he's, he'd have to definitely break the mold on that one. I view him as a mid-round prospect. He grades out a little well, but he would be really um, best suited to kind of sit and have some time. I know there's a lot of talk on him being a first rounder, but he's not um, ready to be a first rounder. He needs to kind of sit for a few seasons and really develop. Um, there's a number of throws in the NFL um, playbook that he never has made before. So by people saying, like, oh, he's ready and that he can do it, the fact of the matter is they, I, or anybody else has never actually seen him throw in a handful of the kind of the – the scripted throws that you kind of see people like Rodgers or Brady's and Breeze make uh, just because of the offense that he played in. So for me, I don't particularly think Mahomes is a wise choice in the first round, but as kind of the old saying is, is what is smart at one price is stupid at another. So while he might be smart as a fourth or fifth rounder, he's going to be pretty stupid as a first rounder because there's too much uh, weight played in that, that he's going to have to be starting early and he's going to have to come in and be kind of maybe the savior for a franchise versus needing that year, a couple of years to sit. Now we'll see how much that big gun of his uh, influences teams in the draft. But, uh, Matt, uh, at the other end of the spectrum, you note in your research, uh, Nate Peterman of Pittsburgh is kind of the polar opposite of Mahomes as a quarterback that completes a high percentage of his passes downfield uh, along with a high average yards per attempt. H how much do you think that helps Peterman's draft stock? Peterman is one of these guys that when I talk to different head coaches and coordinators and quarterback coaches throughout the league, they really like him. I know there's a few general managers and scouts out there that aren't necessarily high on Peterman, but the coaches that I've talked to and I've worked with, they really like him. He comes from a pro-style offense. He's a guy who's taken a lot of uh, command of the huddle. He you know, takes snaps under center. Um, he has like uh, a, a high percent of his uh, completion rate on pass attempts over uh, 20 or more yards down the field at 46.7%, which is the highest in this year's draft class. So he's a guy who's able to kind of stretch the field and kind of work within the parameters of his game. Uh, the one red flag that I have on Peterman is that he has a 62% completion rate on first and second down, but then it drops 10% uh, down to you know, about 51 52% on third down. That significant drop is a huge red flag. So, again, he's not a quarterback that can really come in and start right away. But the fact of the matter is, is that he, he sees the field down. He, you know, he works those intermediate to deep down the field passes, uh, which is a lot of what a lot of times NFL coaches like to see. Uh, a lot of times you get these quarterbacks have high uh, inflated completion rates because they are throwing a number of uh, passes behind the line of scrimmage, those kind of quick pop passes. So Peterman is definitely somebody that I think will get elevated high in the coaching ranks, but it will be interesting to see how the scouting community uh, come draft time, whose weight weighs more at each organization's would. Uh, will will depend on Peterman's draft stock and who the general managers listen to in the draft room. Um, one one guy I don't think people are talking about much is Jared Evans of Virginia Tech, uh, but you highlighted some of the the qualities that make 
make him attractive uh, in your report that you provided me. Can you kind of go through some of those qualities, Matt? Yeah, Gerard Evans is a one-year starter uh, at Virginia Tech, and he's a guy that not a lot of people are talking about. And he's somebody that I think is kind of a a low-risk, high-reward kind of player. Being that his draft stock, he's not going to be a day one or even a day two guy. He'll definitely be a day three player. So there's not a ton of um, you're not using a ton of value on him. But he's a guy that he he had a fantastic year last year at Virginia Tech. He had a negative play rate of just 1.9 percent. Now a negative play rate, uh, I take the number of sacks and interception a quarterback has, and I kind of just divide it by how many pass attempts. Now in the, the NFL average by the week guys, it's right around six percent. Uh, overall in the week, it's right around eight percent. Now there's when you kind of look at it, some of the guys who have uh, play, negative play rates that go from college to NFL, like a Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, usually they'll bump up because you know college is a little easier than NFL, obviously. But a 1.9% negative play rate is extremely low. So the guy doesn't make a ton of mistakes, and he's able to have the athletic ability to kind of scramble around and make plays. So he's very accurate over different levels of field. He doesn't necessarily have a high or low range in terms of his completion percentage. He's very consistent throughout the kind of the short, intermediate, and long passes. He's a great third-down passer. He completed 64.2% of his attempts uh, last year on third down. So a guy who's very consistent. A lot of teams just don't like it because he's a one-year wonder. Um, and here's a guy who played against, you know, took uh, Virginia Tech to the ACC championship, and they played very well against uh, Clemson. Uh, so for me, I like Gerard Evans. I would probably take him over a, a handful of other guys in this year's draft class, probably earlier than most teams. Um, he's and he's somebody that I've uh, advocated to a number of NFL teams that they should probably go back and relook at his film because I think they, I think he's a definitely a diamond in the rough kind of player. Yeah, just some fantastic statistical analysis there into into a guy that people probably don't know a lot about. Uh, Matt, uh, among the players we haven't talked about yet, is there any other mid to late round prospects that really stand out to you that you know the Packers might be dr- interested in? Just for example. You know, the one guy that I kind of, he keeps kind of popping up on all the different reports is that, you know, in some areas of the field, he's he's very successful. In other areas, he's extremely weak. But it's Chad Kelly from Old Miss. Now, he's a bit of a knucklehead both on and off the field. But he is accurate. Uh, you know, he has a good accuracy rate, 61% on pass attempts, 10 to 20 yards, that intermediate uh, section of the field, which is, you know, very much like the West Coast offense. He That's kind of his bread and butter. He might need a few seasons to mature and grow up, but he could develop into probably a, a decent backup. So I wouldn't be, he, I don't think he's necessarily long-term starter potential or a top-tier guy like that. But similar to what, like a Chad Henney or a Derek Anderson, you know, I think I don't think a lot of people put in a, a lot of weight into what a quality, uh, you know, what a second-string backup can be mean to teams. Um, I think the Packers have seen sometimes with Rodgers, you do have, you know, some injury issues, and they, those backups might have to start a, a game or two, and those games or two can really uh, make or break a season. So, to me, I sort of wouldn't be surprised if Chad, I would I would take a flyer on Chad Kelly in that fifth or sixth round, but I would make sure I had the organization um, capabilities to kind of protect him and kind of, you know, have the lo- uh, leadership in the locker room to kind of show him the way. Um, so, to me, that would be somebody I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers, you know, they might take a flyer on somebody like him he could definitely stand to learn a few lessons from his uncle jim kelly i think uh as well yeah. uh, matt before we let you go here how, how about some of the biggest red flags among this year's quarterback class anyone that nfl team should be particularly wary of the two players that i 
keep coming back to are Brad Kaya from Miami and Deshaun Kaiser from Notre Dame. Deshaun Kaiser, I have an undraftable grade on. I just don't think he has shown the abilities over his career at Notre Dame um, to be successful in the NFL. He's very similar to those the players such as um, Blake Bortles and Jake Walker. Um, while he has the physical uh, tools that kind of wowed some people at the Combine, his statistical production and his efficiency metrics just suggest that he won't be anything more than like a second to third string player. Now, saying that, there's a lot of talk about him going possibly in the top ten of this year's draft class to a team similar to like maybe the Arizona Cardinals. Um, so for me, the value at which you're going to be using on a player that has such a low probability of being successful, his statistical production just says that he has less than a 2% chance of being successful in this year's uh, into the NFL. I mean, while it's still a percentage, the players that have, have his markers just don't have gone, haven't gone on to reach success in the NFL. So to me, Kaiser just doesn't have a draftable grade and somebody that I would uh, you know, stay away from. Um, so that's that's to me that's to me is going to be the biggest red flag of this year's draft class. That's interesting to see how big of a difference there is between you know some people saying top ten and you who say uh, undraftable. So uh, really interesting stuff, Matt. Thank you so much for taking the few minutes here to talk about NFL quarterbacks or future ones at least, and uh, greatly appreciate it. And enjoy the NFL draft in a few weeks. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. How about that? Matt Richner, thank you to him for joining us here on the Railbird Central show at Cheesehead TV. Uh, glad to have him joining us. Glad to have you, the listener, join us as we continue on with the show. What the hell's going on out here? I'll try to tell you, Vince, in our Packers news segment, but man, I, I'm still just... It's incredible. We get a guest on the show who tells us Deshaun Kaiser, undraftable, uh, while other people have him in the top 10 of the NFL draft. What a discrepancy. Uh, really interesting interview. Um, all right, Packers news. The Green Bay Packers released cornerback McIntyre Dorleant on Tuesday, leaving the team with less depth at a position of need. And I'm sure there are some conspiracy theorists out there saying, well, if he wouldn't have gotten arrested, he wouldn't have been released. And it's true, last month Dorleant was arrested for interference outside a bar in Cedar Falls, Iowa, where he went to college alongside his former teammate DeAndre Hall, a Chicago Bears cornerback. But when Dorleant was released on Tuesday, it was with a failed physical designation. Uh, certainly the arrest didn't help in terms of perception, but I truly believe this is 99% about his health because you've got to remember that Dorleant went on injured reserve twice last season for two different injuries. I'm not sure how many players in NFL history can say that. The NFL only started allowing a player to come off injured reserve since 2011. So I don't know if anyone tracks this sort of thing, but Dorleant has to be an exclusive company to be put on IR twice in the same season with two different injuries. His first injury was a hamstring injury, hamstring pull, suffered during training camp last year, which forced him to miss more than half the first more than the first half of the season. And then he only played in three games before suffering a knee injury in the final game of the regular season against the Detroit Lions. And that didn't help in the timeline of his recovery being injured in the last game of the year. Um, so it really was too bad for Dorleant. You could see how much the Packers thought of him simply by him 
designating him as the one player to come off injured reserve. I wish him the best of luck because I also think his arrest was a mere blip on the radar screen. Uh, But I guess we can also say this doesn't necessarily prevent the Packers from re-signing him down the road. It might be unlikely, uh, but the Packers probably knew Dorleon wouldn't be available during the upcoming off-season program. So why waste a roster spot on a player that won't be available? Uh, That roster spot could instead be used on a player that will be available and use that roster spot more effectively. Um, So, yeah. Um, In other Packers news, we have a report on another prospect making an official visit to Green Bay. NFL teams can have a limit of 30 players they can bring in for official visits. And the player they're bringing in is Utah State running back Devontae Mays. This is according to Adam Kaplan of ESPN. Mays is an intriguing player. In his junior season, he came up just short of the 1,000-yard milestone, rushing for 966 yards, averaging 5.85 yards per carry, and scoring nine touchdowns. But during his senior season, he suffered an injury to his right leg, limiting him to playing in just six games and starting only two of them. And it's too bad, too, because he was healthy for the season opener and rushed for more than 200 yards in that one game. So he appeared to be destined to have a great season. And I'm sure that's the biggest reason the Packers are bringing him in, to get that medical information. He wasn't invited to the NFL Combine, so they didn't get the opportunity to get that information there. Mays was also a junior college transfer, so he doesn't have a ton of experience at the FBS level of college football. But he is a big back at five foot ten and 230 pounds, and he apparently had some pretty impressive numbers at the Utah State Pro Day, with a vertical jump of over 40 inches, which if you know anything about vertical jumps, that's incredibly impressive, especially for a guy weighing 230 pounds. Uh, Remarkable, in my opinion. If Mays checks out medically, I wouldn't doubt for a second that this is a player signed by the Packers in undrafted free agency. Um, Other Packers news. The preseason schedule for the Packers was released on Monday. So we basically learned their opponents, but we don't, what what we haven't learned is the exact times and dates yet, except for the preseason finale. We know the Packers will host the Los Angeles Rams at Lambeau Field on August 31st. The rest of the games we don't know dates for yet. Those are released at a later point in time that they don't let you know when they're going to say that. Uh, just It'll just come out of the blue sometime in the near future. Uh, We know the Packers will open the preseason week one by hosting the Philadelphia Eagles. Then we know they'll go on the road for two consecutive games at Washington week two and at Denver week three of the preseason. Uh, We're we're certainly not going to sit here and break down preseason games in depth, but I do want to give mention to an article written by a guest on this show, Gary Zillavy of thepowersweep.com, mentioned the Packers' third preseason game in Denver this year and how it was discovered this past season that running back Ty Montgomery has a sickle cell trait uh, that can impact a player in high altitude. Um, There's a decent chance that Montgomery won't play in the third preseason game. In fact, he might not even travel to Denver. 
Packers probably don't want to take any chances, uh, but it's just notable for the fact that it's the third preseason game, which is historically the game starters play the most in preparation for the regular season. That game is typically called the dress rehearsal before most teams rest their starters for the fourth and final preseason game. So I'm sure you can count on us talking about that on this show when the third preseason game rolls around. Yeah, I understand. It's it's not a huge deal. It's the preseason. Uh, it, most people would probably like them to rest the starters almost all the time uh, in the preseason and not expose them to any potential for injury. Uh, but it is notable uh, just from that perspective and that, you know, something that was just discovered this last year that about Ty Montgomery that was not previously known. Uh, so, yeah, uh, just notable from that perspective. So there you go. That's what we have in Packers news. Moving on. The day ahead. All right. On Wednesday, uh, the first business in the multi-million dollar Titletown District will open to the public. That's Hinterland Brewery, which will open its doors at 11 o'clock a.m. local time today for the first time. That's exciting after so many years of speculation and buildup and, and, and roughly a year of construction around the Titletown District here. We get to see a finished product open for business and, and just in time for the NFL draft. I, I'm sure the business was happy to open in time for its customers to watch the NFL draft in the shadow of Lambeau Field on land leased by the Packers. Hinterland is just the first business to open with more to come. In fact, I saw Lodge Kohler, the hotel in the Titletown District, will hold its grand opening in July but that, in fact, it's already taking reservations now. You know, if you want to get a hotel room for this upcoming season, I know we don't have quite exact dates here, except if you want to go to that final preseason game, August 31st against the Rams, you can start calling now to get your hotel room at Lodge Lodge Kohler, the, the brand spanking new hotel on Packers property. Um so there you go. Uh, that's all I got right now. In the weeks leading up to the NFL draft, that's all I've got on the Packers calendar. Once the Packers add a new rookie class, we'll have a whole lot more to talk about on the calendar. Uh, but that's it that I know is going to happen in the world of the Green Bay Packers today. Uh, but with that, uh, once again here, we've got another guest coming up on the show in our preparation for the NFL draft. So we're just going to pause here for a moment. I'm going to get Jacob Westendorf on the phone, and we're going to talk about interior offensive line prospects coming up. Hang on one second.
Welcome back to Railbird Central, and joining us right now on the phone, we have Jacob Westendorf of Cheesehead TV's own Draft Guide, now available for your purchase. Uh, Jacob, welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. It's good to be back. Uh, hopefully this time uh, some of the things I say age a little bit better. The last time I was here, I believe I said Randall Cobb would lead the team in receptions. And had Jared Cook been healthy for an entire season, he probably would have finished fourth. So here's hoping this goes a little <laughs> bit better. Your memory is better than mine. So uh, that's interesting. Uh, it's amazing how sometimes those things don't age too well. But uh, we won't hold it against you. Uh, let's talk about the interior offensive line. That is the position Jacob previewed in the draft guide. So before we get into the prospects, can we just take stock of the interior of the Packers O-line? How big of a hole was it to lose both TJ Lang and JC Treader in one off season? Well, it's kind of funny because you look at, you know, the state of their offensive line, as far as the tackle position goes, they're about as deep as you can be as anyone in the league. They have three starting caliber players, and in my opinion, probably two all-pros with David Bakhtiari and Brian Balaga, and then Jason Spriggs is a guy who might be the number one prospect were he in this year's draft at tackle as opposed to last year's draft, and they traded up to get him in the second round, so clearly they like him. But as far as Lang and Treader, I'm not as high on Treader as some of the other guys were. I know that when he played uh, he did some good things, uh, but I do know that I pointed out several times whenever they relied on him for an extended period of time, he missed an extended portion of the season. He was the starting center going into 2014. He had a knee injury and lost that job to Corey Lindsley. Mm -hmm. He came into this past season and won the starting center job, ironically enough, because of an injury to Corey Lindsley and then got injured and missed a significant portion of the season. He was just never really fully able to stay healthy. As for TJ Lang, I mean, I don't really know how you can quantify that uh, as a whole just because, I mean, I'm not in the locker room every single day, but you can tell some of the things, obviously. He was voted a captain by his teammates. Aaron Rodgers went to bat for him specifically. That's one of the guys that, according to all of his teammates publicly, leader in the locker room, and more importantly, really good player on the field at a position that really isn't valued that highly by the Packers, as you can tell. Uh, based on what they were able to offer him. But he went to a division rival. It's kind of that old George Steinbrenner way of thinking with, if I can get a Boston Red Sox, it helps the helps the Yankees and hurts the Red Sox. So it's one of those twofold things. Uh, and that's what the Lions did. So it adds a um, hole to the Packers roster. The good news is um, they still have four really good offensive linemen as far as starters goes, but the depth on the interior of their offensive line certainly is not there uh, like it was a season ago. All right, so let's start to look at potential replacements here. One name that's come up a lot uh, on the interior offensive line, and, and you have listed in the, as your number one interior offensive lineman in the draft guide, is Forrest Lamp of Western Kentucky. So, Jacob, how realistic do you think is it that the Packers could draft a player like him in the first round with maybe so many needs to fill on the defensive side of the football, too? Yeah, let all the Anchorman references fly. Uh, <laughs> if the Packers were to draft, I think that we've probably already jumped the shark on those. Um, <laughs> as soon as I found out that was his name, I made several of them as well. But uh, <laughs> as far as I think, Brian, we've discussed this a couple times just on a couple Twitter exchanges. Uh, it's just would be very surprising to me just because it's not Ted Thompson's M.O. If you look at his draft history, 
it's to pick college blindside tackles and move them inside to guard. Uh, examples, David Bakhtiari. Well, I mean, David Bakhtiari didn't move inside to guard, but Josh Sitton, TJ Lang, guys like that were all, Darren College was a tackle in college. Uh, no pun intended there. But all those guys moved inside to guard. And Forrest Lamp, he's a great player. Uh, obviously, I listed him number one as my interior offensive line group. I like him a lot. It just, it's not a position the Packers value highly. You saw that if they valued it, at a higher rate enough to potentially spend a first round pick on. I think if they valued it enough to spend a first round pick on, you would have seen them. The contract TJ Lang got is high for a guard, but not outrageous enough to the point where you're like, Oh my gosh, there's no way that they should have paid that. So I think that if they were willing to spend a first round pick on a guard that you could have just paid TJ Lang and everything would have been fine. Uh, going forward because it was just a three-year contract so Forrest Lamp to me I think the only scenario that they take him in the first round is if every edge rusher and every cornerback that they really have a first round grade on is off the board and they just absolutely cannot pass him up but as we've mentioned there's a lot of cornerbacks and edge rushers in this draft that are highly thought of so I think that that's a really unlikely scenario to the point where None of those guys are on the board when the Packers are on the clock. Yeah, I I agree. It's it's I I really like Lamp as a player, but it, it is tough when there's so many needs on the defensive side and so many good defensive players too. Uh, it would be tough. Uh, one of the other top guards in this draft class is Dan Feeney, who was the college teammate of Jason Spriggs at Indiana. So. Jacob, do, do you think the Packers are questioning Spriggs about his teammate to get some inside information if, if Feeney's around on day two of the NFL draft? Oh, sure. Uh, something I was listening about yesterday, the Cubs uh, just raised their banner for the first World Series championship in 100-plus years, and sports radio around here in Illinois, where I'm from, is talking about all kinds of different stuff that Theo Epstein's done to build his team. And something they talked about was when they picked Kyle Schwarber, how – they interviewed his former teachers, his family, his friends, <laughs> his childhood, everything. And the NFL is the same way uh, as far as that goes. They were talking about how, you know, they the Cubs really value character guys and things of that nature. So the Packers already have someone like that in their locker room to pick information from as far as Dan Feeney goes, because this guy played with him. Uh, just one season ago. So they don't have to look very far to find information on a potential prospect that just so happens to fit one of their bigger needs. Oh, and he's one of the better prospects that uh, fits that need. So he's a really good player, and uh, the Packers can pick the brain. They absolutely should be doing that, and I'd be stunned if they are. They absolutely are uh, doing that, in my opinion. Yeah, cool comparison there with uh, Theo Epstein and the Cubs and building a contender there. Um, Jacob, one of the guests we had on our show on Monday, Chad Reuter, uh, called Temple's Dion Dawkins a potential first-round pick. Not guaranteeing it, but potential. And, and while I see him in your, the Cheesehead TV draft guide, you got him rated a little bit lower. I, I'm not calling one of you right and one of you wrong, but can you just give your justification as rating him as your number six interior offensive lineman? Yeah, I mean, you just kind of saw you know, some of the guys I had ahead of him. You had you know, Dorian Johnson, you had... 
uh, Ethan Pochich. I'll talk about him a little bit later. Forrest Lamp, some of those guys. It wasn't really a slight to Dawkins. I like him quite a bit. I think he's more of a middle round pick, uh, second or third rounder that I think the Packers could plug and play. Uh, the only thing that what I saw on him, he's got some stiff hips uh, and something I always look for in pass blocking is dipping the head uh, because <laughs> Vikings fans, I don't know if any of them listen to your show, but if they do, I'm sure they have nightmares about TJ Clemmings because he does that all the time. And it caused Sam Bradford a lot of pain this past year. And that's one of Dawkins's really bad habits is he's got a head ducking thing and that'll cause him to headbutt and pass protection. Uh, so that's something that caused him to move down the board a little bit, but certainly not a slight. It's just some of those players above, um, and Dawkins, I don't think, can play uh, tackle. You can see some of the guys on uh, the list above him, I think, can move around a little bit as far as positional versatility. I think Lamp could play right tackle in a pinch. I think Dan Feeney could play right tackle in a pinch. Pochich can play guard and center. So those guys have a little positional versatility, whereas Dawkins, I think you're looking at left or right guard, and that's about it. Okay. Um, I see you have Taylor Moton of Western Michigan listed among the guards when many draft analysts out there have him listed as a tackle. He played right tackle at Western Michigan. Uh, again, I'm not judging right or wrong here, but just why do you have him listed among the guards instead of as a tackle? One of the first games I watched uh, for Taylor Moton was against Wisconsin in their bowl game uh, against T.J. Watt. Mm -hmm. Because the first thing I like to watch for those uh, smaller school guys is how do they do when they face some elite competition? That's what led me to put Forrest Lamp at number one was how did he do against Jonathan Allen, for example. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Allen said Forrest Lamp was one of the best blockers he faced. I actually said that in the Cheesehead TV guide. <laughs> that was one of the first things that was like, oh, my gosh. Taylor Moton struggled a little bit against T.J. Watt, and some of it was speed around the edge, uh, just speed rushing. T.J. Watt has some speed around the edge, uh, but he's not going to be confused with an absolute burner uh, as far as running around the edge goes. You're not going to think of him as somebody that scares you in terms of an absolute burner speed rusher. So what I'm thinking as far as moving him inside to guard, he's good with power, he's good with his anchor, and your kick slide – which Moton struggles with a little bit, doesn't have to be as dramatic in pass protection when you move inside the guard, and he's really powerful. I like him in the run-blocking aspect as a guard. So those are my major uh, justifications for moving him inside the guard. While I know a majority of them will have him as a tackle, and I think a lot of people will end up playing him at tackle if he ends up getting drafted, but I think if a team gets him in the middle rounds, like Green Bay, for example, uh, Green Bay, obviously, if they drafted him, would probably play him at guard. Um, but And I think if they did do that, they'd be getting a really good player at that position because he's a powerful player. And some of the weaknesses that he has, like his kick slide, his struggles against speed, you can cover those up inside a little bit more uh, than you can as a player on the edge. All right. What about the Packers needing to address the center position? Because beyond Corey Lindsley, and, and Corey Lindsley is a fine option, but beyond him, there's a bunch of question marks. Right now, Don Barkley appears to be the top backup. But, Jacob, are, are there some options in the NFL draft of guys who can kind of be versatile center-slash-guard kind of guys? Yes, and something to remember with Lindsley is he's entering a contract year, and we've just seen that the Packers may or may not value interior offensive linemen. That remains to be seen with the center position, but... 
Evan Dietrich Smith was allowed to walk uh, a few seasons ago. That may have been because they didn't think that highly of him. Uh, before that, Scott Wells was allowed to walk. Um, and that may again, because they didn't think that highly of him. Corey Lindsley's better than both of those players. And he's younger than both of those players. Something else to keep an eye on is Lindsley's already had a couple of banged up off seasons in a row and he's not healthy. And that's an issue going forward as far as depth goes, because one of my stances on the offensive line is always, as long as the plan is not Don Barclay, I'm fine. Well, when you have that in mind, then you probably need to address the center depth because right now it's either Don Barclay or maybe Lucas Patrick uh, could get in there and do some things. Maybe they cross-train Kyle Murphy there, this training camp as well. I personally would like to see Murphy win the right guard job as things stand, but that all remains to be seen. As far as your question as guys that can move inside and out, Dan Feeney's one uh, that you mentioned I think can play a little bit of center. The one guy, uh, the first guy who actually played center is Ethan Pochich. And that's a guy who he played in an offense that wasn't very complex, but I think that was more due to the limitations of the quarterback position. But when you can move guys the way that he did in an offense that expects you to run the football because your quarterback really is bad. If anybody, I'm sure everybody that listens to this watched LSU play against Wisconsin. And this is no slight to Wisconsin's defense. Wisconsin's defense was very good last season. But LSU's quarterback situation is terrible and was terrible and has been for quite some time. Ethan Pochich is a very good player, uh, and he kind of plays in that zone running, zone blocking scheme. So he fits in kind of with the Packers, and he calls out protections and things of that nature. Aaron Rodgers has a very high expectation of his center. You saw him against the Jets in 2014. That was Corey Lindsley's rookie season, his second game as a pro. And Rodgers lit him up after not getting a snap correct. And that's just how Rodgers is on his his center and his teammates as a whole, really, in general. So if you can add a smart player like Pochich to the mix as a backup and then maybe an heir apparent if they decide not to pay Lindsley, uh, that would be a good option. And then there's other options uh, later in the draft as well. But you can find centers. Corey Lindsley was a fifth-round pick. Uh, this isn't a position, I think, that you're spending – a high draft pick on, you know, fifth or sixth round pick. You kind of develop those guys from within, get them in an NFL weight room and then go from there. But if you're looking early on, Ethan Pochich is definitely your guy. I had him ranked third on my uh, draft list. Very cool. Uh, Jacob, before we left, let you go here. Uh, you also write for fan rag and I, I believe they, they were formerly pro football spot. You can tell us a little bit about that transition there and, and anything you want to promote or you've got coming up. Fan rag NFL actually formerly today's pigskin and they were today's, today's pigskin. I'm sorry. Fast break. Today's everything. Now it's just fan rag, whatever. So fan rag NFL, fan rag NBA, I'm just on the NFL side of things. This Friday, so today's Wednesday, uh, so this Friday I have late-round fits for the Packers. I've done early and middle round. Uh, so Friday I have some late-round guys that the Packers could look to, uh, which is where the Packers tend to find some diamonds in the rough. So that is exciting. And then I have a couple podcasts that I run for Cheesehead TV, PackersTalk.com, that whole family right there. Pulse of the Pack, I run with Jason Perrone. Uh, Brian, you've been on with us before for that. And then Packers War Room with Ross Uglum and Cody Bauer, the Cheesehead TV draft guide experts. Um, those guys, well, 
Cody did a little bit, and then Ross did the edge and, I believe, defensive line prospects this year. So those two guys uh, were on a little bit of a break uh, until the draft, but those guys will be running up until the draft, and the pulse of the pack is year-round. So that's where you can find my stuff if anything is of interest to you. Very cool. Uh, We'll send our listeners there. Jacob, thank you so much for joining us. Greatly appreciate it. Keep up the good work, and uh, we're sending people to buy the draft guide. All right, Brian, I appreciate that. Thank you, and everybody, keep listening to Railbird Central. (laughs) Thanks. Jacob Westendorf joining us here at Railbird Central on a Wednesday morning. Glad to have him joining us. Glad to have you, the listener, join us. But we're not continuing on with the show. Um, That'll do it for today's episode. Glad you could listen to an extra-long draft preview here. We'll be back again on Friday with our bi-monthly um, or, or not by our monthly uh, engagement with Scott McKenna of the Talk and Smack blog. We'll be talking about first round targets of the Green Bay Packers uh, on Friday's episode of Railbird Central. So excited to have Scott join us on the show. So we'll see you in a little less than 48 hours from now for the next episode. So that'll do it, folks. Have a good Wednesday. Railbird Central airs every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8.30 a.m. Central Time. That's the live edition of the show, podcasted and on demand later in the day. On behalf of everybody at Cheesehead TV, I'm Brian Caribou. I leave you today with a song called Sirens by String Cheese Incident on Psy Fidelity Records. See you later, everyone. Go Pack Go. Go.